0: Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite. Thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we. I mean, we work full-time, and this is this is a full-time gig on top of it, and we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet-talked the folks with SpeechTherapyPD.com, and as a thank-you giveaway, we have come up with a, a, a free podcast subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear, and that person will get a free podcast subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, All Things Ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go. But once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed, plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the numbers twenty. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon.
1: Hey there, listener. This is Dr. Dakota Sharp, audiologist, clinical assistant professor, and lifelong learner, inviting you to join me on an exciting new podcasting journey known as On the Ear. As you know, audiology is ever evolving, so it's critical as professionals that we learn and grow as well. Every other Thursday, On the Ear will be interviewing a variety of clinicians and researchers, spanning a wide range of hearing and communication topics. From pediatrics to geriatrics, cochlear implants to vestibular, speech to hearing, and everything in between, this podcast will provide exciting insights that you can use in your clinical practice. Each episode of On the Ear is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs when you complete the accompanying pod course through SpeechTherapyPD.com. For more information about On The Ear and to earn ASHA CEUs for this upcoming podcast, visit speechtherapypd.com ear. That's speechtherapypd.com ear. Thanks for listening and subscribing, and we'll see you soon.
0: Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyDD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Culvetown, South Carolina
2: So sit back, relax, and watch out for
0: all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So today's episode falls once again in the lovely categories of fun and functional. And y'all, today we are covering the behind the scenes of functional communication, Okay, so I'm super geeking out because today we have the lovely Mr. Wyatt Franken from Talk to Me Technologies on, and this episode, um, it's kind of like my personal missing link for AAC, at least for me. I'm hoping for y'all too, but um, it's also, I kind of feel like I'm airing my dirty laundry here, so this is a lot. Okay, so here's the scoop. I met Wyatt and his sweet wife a few years ago at a Skisha convention. Y'all go to your state association conferences. All the good things happen there. Um, My very dear friend, Leslie, she actually went to grad school with Wyatt's wife. She introduced us and she said these magical words. Are you ready? She said, Michelle, he can totally bring the devices for you to your patients and meet with y'all there to trial. Duh. Done. I was like, what? That is a game changer for the home health early intervention SLP right there. Y'all, Wyatt and his amazing colleagues at Talk to Me Technologies literally bring the AAC device of your choosing, including eye gaze and head trackers if you need it, and they bring it to you with the language system that you want on it already uploaded. I can't believe the words that I just said, but it's true. Okay. So fast forward a few years because like life happened and I had a patient, a little kiddo in need. Well, three actually kind of sort of in the middle of uh, the pandemic when our state assistive technology office was closed and our man Wyatt, he came through. Basically, he was these kiddos and their family's AAC hero just missing the cape. Uh, actually, one mom who's the seamstress that you bet was kind of like, I could fix that. <laughs> and it has made all the difference for my patients. So I asked Wyatt to come on today to help explain the AAC approval process. Because as many times as I've helped a kiddo get established with AAC, I've honestly never had to do the behind-the-scenes stuff, the documentation and the report writing, uh, you know, the big, big document, because there was always an extenuating circumstances. For instance, I had several nonprofits in our area that would donate one for free with just a call. I've had several kiddos that were doing AAC trials on and doing the data collection on, and then they transferred to the school district, to the early childhood special education classroom. And that SLP picked up and I I discharged. Or I had one little one that honestly passed away. And I've had a couple of little ones that were using AAC during doing the trials and they moved away. It's just the nature of the world of early intervention. But... And here is the very big butt and the nerve-wracking butt for me. Y'all, I got to do the legwork like right now for all three of the patients. And I'm honestly really nervous because it's super daunting and I need to get this right. And I'm kind of a slight OCD perfectionist. So I figure if I needed to learn how, then I'm sure that there are others out there with me that are new to this and need to know how as well. So I am celebrating the unknown with y'all and with our dear friend, Wyatt. So Wyatt, hi. Hi, welcome. Thank you for coming on and dealing with um, all of my nerves. Yay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, thanks so much, Michelle. It's been so great to be a part of this with you. And I feel so honored to be a part of your podcast
0: Oh, well, thank you. Well, people, people love y'all. I mean, we just so y'all know, Wyatt and his team—they come to every single Skisha convention. They bring their devices. They've got booths. They let people practice on them, and you can go and and they go to other state associations too. So you know, make sure that you like check your state association um, listing when they have uh, their vendors up, because you can go and meet them. And and Wyatt, you have done a really good job of making. It feel approachable because AAC can be really scary. But y'all just you're very laid back, knowledgeable, but laid back, and I appreciate that. So thank you. But um, okay, how did you find this as your calling? Because this is a weird one, just saying. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it definitely is, but I couldn't be happier happier with how things panned out. So, long story short, in my college endeavors, I went to the University of Northern Iowa. I was struggling determining what where I wanted my career path to go. And having terrible hearing as a kid, I had to visit an audiologist quite frequently. And so in undergrad, we had our audiology and speech language pathology program merged together with communicative sciences and disorders. So I went in actually wanting to become an audiologist so I could be Dr. Franken, but that didn't didn't essentially go the way I wanted it to, but um, during my classes, about ninety percent of the classes we had were speech related. So I slowly wanted went from becoming an audiologist to wanting to become a speech language pathologist. And in my undergrad, I worked with a couple AAC kiddos, and thankfully I was introduced to Talk to Me Technologies. So Talk to Me Technologies is actually based in my college town of Cedar Falls, Iowa. So I built a relationship with some employees at Talk To Me Technologies and really introduced me to AAC and kind of that that world within speech language pathology. Um, So my wife and I, she wasn't my wife then, but we graduated and we were trying to determine what we wanted to do. So I contacted Talk To Me Technologies right after undergrad and started working with them. And they were nice enough once Megan got approved to the University of South Carolina for her master's program, they allowed me to head down there to South Carolina and work for them. And so ever since then, I've been traveling and working with patients and kind of that's how I started my AC journey, which was about a little over five years ago today. It's, it's hard to say.
0: I honest to God thought y'all were based out of South Carolina because y'all are always here and you have such a good presence I had no idea this was based out of Iowa.
3: Yep, you're right. You probably don't know a whole lot about Iowa, but it's a great yeah, um, place. No, I
0: <laughs> corn. I think there's corn in Iowa. <laughs> That's like the extent. I'm sorry, that everybody, that lives in Iowa. <laughs> uh, we love you. Sure... We love you, <laughs> Islands. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My husband is really, really into maps because he's super nerdy, so we have a lot of atlases. And I thought... The Sierra Mountains were the same thing as the Rocky Mountains, and I was really, really wrong. <laughs> so like, yeah, but that's okay. It's, it's west of the Appalachia. That's kind of the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> okay, I'm done embarrassing myself on that topic. Let's move along with the self-deprecating humor. Okay, so I have like 400 questions, but um, some of them are just kind of like broad scope pictures on like the state of AAC now. Um, I will, I will admit that I get in a professional rut or I don't know, comfort zone. I think comfort zone is the better way to explain it. I'm fully biased. I love LAMP. Um, I love, um, that language system and it has worked very, very well for me for like the high tech, uh, for the patients that I've seen up until the pandemic hit when I had several kiddos that that wasn't going to work for due to their fine motor deficits. Um, And one of them, um, the little one with the cortical vision impairment. So, uh, you know, you kind of helped throw me into a totally different language system. Something that like really pulled me out of my comfort zone during a time when I'm so out of my comfort zone anyway. (laughs) So this is just like, let's just immerse Michelle in all of the AAC. But In general, what types of equipments are you seeing as like the most popular and kind of in the highest demand right now? And I want like the details, sizes, types of devices, language. Like what are the trends in AAC right now?
3: Absolutely. So it's all very client specific, whether you're working with adults or working with pediatrics. But I would say in the pediatric world, direct select devices, um, patients accessing the device with their finger, are definitely the most popular. When working with pediatrics, we work with a lot of different diagnoses, autism, cerebral palsy. And from an efficiency standpoint, if we can get a child or an adult using a device, via direct selection, it's probably gonna be the most efficient. Um, But with that being said, I've seen a whole lot of different change in the AAC world since I've started. With with the Direct Select devices, I mean, there's different types. With our devices, we have our Wegos and our Zubos, um, but also we have different devices out there like the Accents. Right. Ex-
0: explain go what a Wego versus a Zubo is. Wait, yes. stop. Can you give us our website? Give us your website really quick. That way folks can, if, right. they're, if you're not we driving, you can pull, you can pull <laughs> it up. Okay. All right. Go for it.
3: So if you check out our website, it is www.talktometechnologies.com. And that's talk to T-O, not the number. But on there, you'll see all our different devices, access methods, mounts, etc. But we offer two different types of devices. We have devices that are more iOS-based, and those are called our WEGOs, W-E-G-O. The way I like to remember it is, wherever you go, we go. And then we also have devices that are called our Zubos. These are more Windows-based devices. Um, different. There's different communication platforms available on the different devices, but we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Okay. okay. Um,
0: and they all come in different sizes. Okay, so yes. the Wegos, you've got a 5-inch, 7-inch, 10-inch, 13-inch. Um, That's correct, yep. And I think for the most part, most of my little ones have been using your 10-inch one.
3: Uh, That is correct. I would say the most popular of the direct select devices are typically the 7-inch and the 10-inch devices. The 10-inch is more of like a standard size that if you're working with a client that doesn't have any visual impairments or maybe no fine motor planning issues, we can go with either the 10-inch or the 7-inch. And then the 5-inch and the 13-inch are really dependent on the client. If we do have some visual impairment, some people will lean towards the larger device, larger device, larger buttons, easier to see, easier to access. Um, but then I do work with some older clients that the 5-inch device is really, really nice. It's not too big. It's not too, too bulky. It's really easy to fit in a pocket and be able to whip it out and communicate really fast maybe not have that stigma of having a communication device.
0: Oh, I could see that being popular with teenagers.
3: Absolutely. Um, work with some different diagnoses of like locked-in syndrome and where those five-inch devices are just really, really nice. It almost looks like the size of a phone, so it it fits into their day-to-day really nice. Our ZUVO devices are a little bit different sizing. We have a 10-inch device. We have a 12-inch device. And we have an 18-inch device. So that's also just kind of depending on the client and what access method they have and maybe what their motor status is.
0: Those really large ones, this is something that I've always struggled with because I'm not the OT. So for the larger devices, um, whose job responsibility is it to get it to get like a connector to their wheelchair or where does that, is that, does that normally just like fall in? Because honestly, I've never had, I've never had to order like um, a support in order to like get it connected because I've had an OT that I worked with or the schools took it over. Is that part of the Medicaid funding? I mean, help. That's
3: a question. (laughs) That is a great question. So, with Talk to Me Technologies, like some other AC companies as well, we have our own, all the services and supports that we offer. So, we here at Talk to Me call it the TTMT 360 effect. So, mounting is part of
0: TTMT 360 effect. Okay, I had to depack everything you said. All right, I'm with you now. Go.
3: <laughs> I wish I could show you my hand signals I'm having with this 360 effect. Um, <laughs> That's great. But the mounting and all. The other accessories are a part of our TTMT 360. So if I'm working with an adult or a pediatric client that needs an eye gaze, and maybe they need the largest 18-inch 18, 18 screen, and say mobility-wise, they spend most of their time in a wheelchair, you're looking at different mounting. So that is something that an AAC specialist like myself would be able to assist with. So while I'm there for the evaluation or during the trial, or if I'm meeting with them, we can discuss what different mounting options there are. So mounting is something that's not, I would say, extremely well known, but there's so many different solutions out there. So from mounting, just to break it down real quick, we have standard table mounts that go on a flat surface. We have rolling mounts that come on a wheel base. So if Say we are working with somebody that spends some time in a wheelchair, maybe in their favorite lazy boy recliner or in bed. These devices can roll, say, underneath the bed or to the side of a chair. And then we can adjust the angle of the device so it can be accessible to them.
0: Okay, so our patients,
3: I'm, Go ahead. I'm
0: sorry. I'm thinking, is it like a cross between like an IV pole and like... Oh my gosh. The, the little, I'm thinking of my grandma. My grandma has like um, a little table that goes that it's like her TV dinner table. I don't know how to, what else to call it, but is it like a cross between an Ivy pole and like a movable TV dinner
3: table? Uh, I would say maybe a little bit of similar similarity. (laughs) Um, I'm very visual light. I'm trying to pull the picture. I I wish. So So I'm thinking, so think of a four-wheel base that makes kind of like a C. Then at one of the, on part of the base, you have an arm that goes straight up and then an arm that comes across. So the wheels allow you to roll underneath something. So your wheels could be three feet underneath the bed. And then the arm that comes up would come up right on the side of where they're at. And then the device mounts to piece going horizontal and that's the thing that's adjustable so think of like a four-wheel base with one arm that comes up so you can go super high in the air up to about eight to ten feet in the air and then an arm that comes across where you can adjust the angles so if somebody's laying on in their bed on their back i could mount the device five feet up in the air over top of them so that they're able to access it no matter what environment they're in.
0: awesome Awesome. Okay. Now I'm with you. Okay. All right. So we, but you guys handle all of that. So that way, if we have a family, I'm just thinking for all of us clinicians that are working out in rural locations or just in a high demand area that do not have occupational therapists to collaborate with on mounting or, you know, I know some durable medical equipment companies sell adaptive supports, that's something that's embedded with it.
3: Absolutely. So essentially each, each company has their own mounting solutions. And so no matter what company you're working with, they should be able to assist you with the type of mounts that they work with. There's a similar to AAC companies. There's a lot of different mounting companies out there as well. So there is a lot of different solutions to choose from, and we'll be able to assist with that in many ways. So something that we offer is we can actually take physical photos of a wheelchair, of a walker, or any, any part of assistive equipment that they're using. We submit that to our the mounting team that we work with. And what they do is they develop a solution based on the needs of that individual client. And then they'll actually provide you with a photo, the physical photo that you took. And they will Photoshop their solution into it so that the SOP, the OT, PT, parents, anybody working with that client can see the solution that they come, they've come they come up with and whether or not they think it would be appropriate. So it's kind of like a, an opportunity to collaborate as with as many people on the team and figure out exactly what we're wanting for that mount. And then we take care of that. So we come up with a wheelchair mount for your client, we would set that up, contact the mounting company, and then it would be delivered along with the device. So it would be covered via their insurance. I've got to put a little disclaimer in there. Every insurance is different. Some insurance companies will only allow for one mount and some companies will allow for combination mounts. So if you're working with a insurance company that allows multiple mounts, you could technically get a wheelchair mount and a rolling mount for a client instead of just one.
0: Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that there was a clause in insurance companies for the quantity of mounts. So huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But okay. So then building off of that one, we have a little one that um, we're looking at head tracker and eye gaze for because at, because what they found was at home, They could um, recalibrate the eye gaze, but it wasn't functional to recalibrate when they were like on the go, say it like um, they go out to eat a lot. Right. And it's not always easy to recalibrate there. But the head tracker was way easier for them to use. So can you talk to us about like the attachments and kind of what the difference is?
3: Between eye gaze and head tracker?
0: Well, yes, but like also what other attachments there are available? Like,
3: okay, absolutely. So yeah, there's depending on what kind of client you're working with, there's so many different attachments and different access methods that we can work with and more and more coming out. That's why I love technology. I love being in this business. So when it comes, certain devices allow for different access methods. So our we The main access methods with those are going to be direct select. So using your finger, direct select with the key guard. A key guard is a hard piece of plastic that would go over the the face of the device so that it helps the client with their intended target. So if they like to rest their whole hand on the face of the device, this would allow them to do that and then put their finger or a knuckle through their intended target. Also attachable with that are switches. So there are so many switches out there. Um, Standard jelly bean switch that is, when I think of a jelly bean switch, I think of a Staples, that was easy button. That's a a really standard switch that's really easy to be placed in different places.
0: Wyatt, I got to stop you for one second. I taught a kiddo how to say they needed to go to the bathroom with the staples that was easy button, like a lifetime ago. And so the (laughs) fact that you like... Because she had really severe constipation. So like it was, we were trying to like, and she would like hold it because of that, which would like exacerbate the constipation. So (laughs) when you say staples, that was easy. All I can think is Lysol spray because it was always (laughs) like, we would work with that. And then like the OT and the um, SPED teacher would take care of the toileting, but I had to stand outside with the Lysol spray for the rest of the... Sorry, that was that was a trip down a very awkward memory lane. All right, continue. Yes, but the switch device, the jelly bean, like staples. I'm with you.
3: <laughs> that is an all time story. We'll have to talk about <laughs> oh that some God. other time.
0: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> an adult beverage after next Kesha convention story. How about that?
3: <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Um, but you could we could probably spend a whole podcast going over the different switches. I I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, Michelle, but there's they're called proximity switches. Um, so proximity switches help help clients that don't have the best fine motor. So if they struggle being able to access the switch, a proximity switch doesn't force you to fully hit it with an elbow or a hand. As long as they get close to the switch, it will activate the switch. So I didn't so you're know
0: about that.
3: So if you're working with somebody with cerebral palsy and... They're, they're wanting to use some sort of switch access, that might be a good switch for them if they don't have the best accuracy when trying to access that switch. Another okay. type of switch, so, go ahead. I,
0: no, I'm just thinking, um, I have seen, Carol and I did an episode a long time ago and she was talking about how there's some research now where some patients were using switch access and what they did is they were using switch access with their knees so they were putting it in um, in the in the wheelchair, right? And because you know for whatever reason they couldn't access with their hands, and they were they wanted to do that. They were showing that they were actually having um, uh, wearing out um, the hip the hip ball socket joint, uh, because of the, of the motion in some of these patients. And so they were, you know, troubleshooting, I guess, in the research study, like what better access methods it was. And the takeaway was as an SLP, you need to work with, um, physical therapists and occupational therapists, and maybe even orthopedic team to find out what was ideal because the long-term use of that can, Break down a body part that wasn't designed to move in that motion, and I found that fascinating because I had never ever put that thought together. So interesting research. All right, continue. I'm so sorry to interrupt.
3: No, that's a great point and a great great thing to think about when trying to find a solution for a client. Mm-hmm. Some different switch uh, types of switches, um, puff a puff switch. I'm not sure if you've ever worked with that. But similar to a switch, this one would go near the client's mouth, and if they have the ability to maybe blow out air, this would tell the switch to activate in that way. So if they don't have the ability to move their knee or their hand or any of their appendages, a puff switch might be something that would work really well for them. If I'm working with somebody and they don't like the puff switch, there's also such thing as a chin switch, or I've had a a patient actually use his bottom lip to control the mouse. So this would either go by the chin or mouth or some some body part. And think about how you would access your laptop or desktop computer. You grab the mouse and you move the mouse around. This is essentially what this patient would do, but with their chin or with their mouth. They would move that chin switch and it would kind of move the cursor on the screen so that they could access it that way. So that's it's a really narrowed in way to describe a lot of switches. But if we wanna invite me back sometime, we can spend a whole podcast on our switches. <laughs> yes.
0: And, and y'all just so if you need the visual, if you get on the website, they have a link down under, um, shop specifically just on switch devices, because I know how visual a learner I am, but he's got all of them right there. You can see the chin switch. You can see exactly what he's talking about. So, um, most excellent. Okay. All right. But all right. So these devices, I'm, while I'm looking at them, um, the devices and the, um, the switches there's, there's a, there's, um, they're expensive. So, uh, does Medicaid or Medicare, do they pay for most of these devices? What if, what if you have a change in status? Like what if you get one switch device, but then the child makes progress and you need an additional switch device? Like what typically happens with insurance then? Because, I mean, I've, I've gone to the trouble of getting one thing set up and then the kid has a major breakthrough or they get their seizures managed and now they're making progress. Or in the opposite effect, their baseline etiology exacerbates. Maybe they have a new bleed or just the disease takes its natural progression. What is the funding, say, on devices and frequency of ordering new equipment? I've always wondered that.
3: That is a great question. And. Similar to my answer earlier, each insurance works a little bit different on what they'll approve and when it comes to alternative access methods, how many switches, you know, eye gaze, head trackers, etc. So something that not a lot of people know about and something that I recommend really highly to anybody who's starting to work with somebody we can always do what we call funding checks on the front end. So say you're working with a kiddo and, or an adult patient, and you're really curious, hey, they have Medicaid and Blue Cross Blue Shield. What is going to be covered? What will they cover? What requirements do they need before they'll approve a device and accessories? So you could contact me or your own AAC consultant, and really what we'll take is their insurance card information, and some general, general release of information, which would allow us to contact before we start a trial, before we set up an evaluation or anything, we can run that check, and then we'll know exactly how much would be covered if they do wanna go through insurance, what stipulations they have. So maybe only one mount, maybe only one accessory. So we can have all that information on the front end before we even start. So say, We get a green light for funding and say they're gonna they're willing to fund some alternative access. So say you do start out with a switch with a client, they're working really things are going really, really well, and then all of a sudden we have a change in client status. Something happens, they're no longer able to access the device in that given method, whether it be switch access or eye gaze or even direct select. What you can do at any point after a child receiving or an adult receiving a device if there's a change in client status you can always submit an addendum to insurance to get something else funded i'm not what? guaranteeing i'm not guaranteeing that they'll approve it but as long as in your addendum report you show that there's a client change in client status why the current access method is no longer accessible to them or why it no longer works. You really got to beef up that addendum report. But as long as you're showing the change in status is the big thing. But as long as you have that and a lot of supporting information, you can get another access method approved.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, and they already know that for the most part, there's been a change in status because they're the insurance company. So they've been footing the bill for the change in status, most likely. So... Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Also, that's so delightful to know that you can find out in advance because that's, I hate the unknown. I that's what has scared me. What if you have a kid that's making progress? What if the insurance says no, the what if? So knowing that you can work collaboratively going into it, that's, huh.
3: That's my number one thing, Michelle. It absolutely breaks my heart if you know you're doing some trials with with a kiddo, and say they're just doing so awesome with the device and being a rock star. They really want to move forward, and then we find out, hey, you know, their insurance is only going to cover eighty percent, and there's going to be some out of pocket costs, which may or may not be
0: affordable for affordable, the family. Exactly,
3: and it just breaks my heart. To, Share that. So as long as we have the information on the front end, you know, we can go at the trial. We can do all the exploring that we need, knowing that if we do find something appropriate that works for them, we will get that funding for them, which is a good feeling.
0: Also, folks, in the event that you you are working with a different company that does not have that knowledge in advance, Please check nonprofits and check your state supports because I know here in South Carolina, there's a really great association or um, funding called Amplify Life. And it's through um, one of the South Carolina departments, like it's funded by the state government. And they have come through for me in the past on a patient, um, actually two patients. And they're, it's been super easy to work with. Um, so every state has a different protocol, a different program. So just put that little thought in the back of your head.
3: I did want to take a step back real quick, if you don't mind, Michelle. Um, you'd asked me previously about the additional attachments that are available on devices. So I really only cover direct select, direct select with a key guard and switch access. But with certain devices, we also have eye gaze attachments. So if you're working with a client... We, have, we actually have multiple different eye gaze options. So depending on who you're working with, we can actually explore both of those and see if one works better than the other. So eye gaze is an attachment for our Zubo devices. And another access method that not a lot of people are knowledgeable about are head mouse or head mice, if you're talking more than one. There's a lot of different, some people will call them head trackers as well. So there's different types of head trackers. One really popular one is called the head mouse nano and head tracker pro is one that some people may know as well. This type of head tracker requires a silver dot be placed somewhere on the patient, whether it be in between their eyes, on the rim of the glasses, um, maybe on a finger. And that that is what the head tracker is going to follow so when you think of eye gaze that client is accessing the device with their pupils where with head tracker we're not tracking their eyes it's essentially tracking that little silver dot so some okay. people really look go ahead
0: wait i need i need to let everybody know also please keep an eye as to where you put those little silver dots because one of wyatt and i's friends little sister saw her big sister with a silver dot on her forehead. And when her mom's back was turned 0.2 seconds later, she had all the other silver dots all over herself and had made herself beautiful, <laughs> like <Yeah>. confetti. <laughs> so like, they're not stickers and or stick on earrings. as Some of the siblings may misinterpret them to be. So like, Comedic real life early intervention moment right there. But all right. So also an unrelated question: Are those little silver dots very expensive? Just kind of throwing that ball out there.
3: Yeah. As soon as you said that about her putting them all over her body, I kind of cringed a little bit (laughs) because they are they are pretty pricey. If you would get a get a head tracker, I believe they supply you with a good amount, maybe like a little strip of like fifty, maybe. We've tried some solutions of getting some like reflective duct tape and trying to make circles to work. And it doesn't work as well. So I recommend if you do get it, hold on to those things, hide them. We don't want them to be like confetti. We want them to be used for the purpose. But I will say if if the patient does say put them on a rim, the rim of their glasses, that one silver dot could last as long as a year. if. You know it's staying clean but if you're putting it on your oily skin in between your eyes you know it only you might be able to reuse it a couple times but after a while it's going to lose its stick and you're going to have to grab a new one
0: yeah 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 yeah. so that's fun and delightful i apologize for the interruption <laughs> but i just thought that we should know that that's like a real life possibility and that's a great the story cool. <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> i feel really bad now continue i'm sorry <laughs>
3: There is an alternative um, type of head tracker that doesn't require the silver dot. One that's really popular. I hope I I call it the QHA ZONO. Some people it's called Q U H A Z O N O. ha ZONO is how I pronounce it. So I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it differently than other people. But this requ- doesn't require the silver dot, but more of a USB. So. Think of, uh, I'm trying to think of the size of my thumbnail, which isn't helpful to you viewers, but it's about that big and it comes with a headband, an eyeglass clip, uh, you could put it on a baseball hat, you can put it on a wrist strap, and instead of tracking that silver dot, the computer is going to be tracking that USB. So think about being in class, the professor has a bunch of stuff written on the board and they're using a laser pointer to to point on the board. That's essentially what the QAZona is. It's kind of a laser pointer that we're attaching to the client and that becomes the mouse. And then they're able to move their head, their hand, wherever they have it mounted on, on themselves. And then the device will track it that way.
0: Awesome. Y'all, he has multiple examples and they're stylish and cute. I mean, like some of them, like the headbands, there's like fuchsia pink, bright red, Uh, And you can get a, I mean, this is, and I know that sounds pithy to say, but for a lot of people, they still, if they're going to have adaptive equipment, moms, we look at like, is this socially acceptable? I mean, I know when we picked out Bear's helmet that he had to have when he he was little, like I was like, if we're going to have a helmet, it's going to be fantastic, right? So we got the race car one. So, I mean, those are thoughts that parents put in as well. So, yeah, these are great. Hmm. although and the that. the hat the hat you can't really see the the baseball cap for the mouse you can't really see the hat it's we we gotta di- pick a different color there Wyatt
3: <laughs> that's okay you can use your own baseball cap at home if you okay. like I didn't know if the hat came with it I was
0: like oof, that's gonna get dirty y'all it's a cream hat that's not gonna last in one um round in the dirt <laughs>
3: <laughs> no it just has a universal clip that you're able to clip on the base any baseball cap really you could even wear a, what do they call him? What does Steve Spurrier always wear? I can't think um, of a noun.
0: I'm just happy that I know who he is because most football references I don't get. So like <laughs> a visor? Is it the visor? Visor, yes.
3: yes. Yes, a visor. Sorry, I'm not a hat or a visor guy, so I couldn't remember. Yeah. Thank you. It's okay. You I, know Steve Spurrier's. I'm proud of you.
0: I, yes. Well, I mean, the football stadium's a mile from my house. This one I have to know. I mean, the guy <laughs> before him, I may not remember his name, but him. Yes. So, okay. All right. I, I have a tendency to get people off track. Do we cover all of your switch access devices and all the different device? Um,
3: I guess I'll add one, one more brief thing. So within the last year, um, iOS has come out with their integrated camera. And so what's great with that is some of the devices, our Wego 13A and our Wego 5A, allow for integrated head tracking. So that requires no silver dot or no USB whatsoever to be worn by the client. Instead, what happens is the camera, when whether it's you, uh, the client, or anybody who's in front of the screen, it essentially creates its own 3D image and starts tracking the head that way. So without really having a calibration or a silver dot or anything, you can access the Wego 5A and 13A devices with so a 13 inch and the 5 inch using head tracking without anything to be worn. So it's really cool. So you could have say direct select turned on, and say towards the end of the day, the the client gets tiresome, you could turn on the head tracking and then they'll move the cursor with their head. It's pretty incredible.
0: That's amazing. Oh my gosh, the pace of technology and what it does for us. Wow, that's cool. Also, I feel like we should talk about my friend with the silver dots later, because that (laughs) might sound good. Okay, Okay. (laughs) all right. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Okay. All right, so let's let's just keep on tracking because we have twenty minutes slightly there under, and I know we need to allocate time for questions all right so when an SLP such as yours truly in the middle of a pandemic goes to supply a patient and their loved one with an AAC device, how long is the typical trial period? how many devices okay so like I know I've got a couple kiddos we did like the trial devices. For one of them, it was the thing. It was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. Let's roll. For the other one, we're still hit or missing. And then for my other one, oh, that's a conversation for later. So um, how long is the typical trial period and how many different devices do most folks go through before they find the it?
3: Absolutely. That's a great question. This is, once again, I feel like it's my go-to answer, so I'm sorry, but it is, it's always very client-specific. So, like our one friend that we're working with, here in South Carolina, we have this great South Carolina Assistive Technology program that actually loans out devices themselves. So, I have a lot of clients that reach out to me, and they've already done their pre-trials. They've used the device, whether in the school or through a program like South Carolina Assistive Technology. Or they're, they've done a lot of their background research, and they might reach out to me and be like, hey, Wyatt, we really, really love Proloquo2Go on this 10-inch device. This kiddo uses it at school efficiently. They use it in their private practice, and we really want to get them a device. So thankfully, in our state of South Carolina, there isn't an official four-week trial required period. So for clients like that who've already done trials and trials either in school or through their SLP directly I can actually obtain devices for for individuals without doing a formal trial through us but what I will say is most teams want to at least do a 4 week trial and some people some SLPs that I work with and some teams they know a specific software. They really, really like it. I know that you had mentioned that, you know, you are a, you're a fan of LAMP. You love the acquisition. You, you love everything about it. And that's great. And what you said is that you work with some clients that it may not be appropriate for. So what's great for, through us is kind of like you had mentioned on a trial device, I can put a lot of those different communication softwares on there for the team to see on that trial device. So the first. Okay,
0: wait. Let me let me say. Let me translate that again slowly. So you get one device, y'all, and it's got a bunch of different languages. So like Proloquo to Go, um, the Board Maker, um, Lamp, um, Words for Life. All the, you can trial all of the different ones, and that was honestly the first time. I've been able to do that. And I totally sat down with, oh, 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 Wyatt, we did a disservice. You can actually get set up with a four-week trial just for the SLP. So while he had these devices trials going with my patients, I'm not there because of the pandemic to, like, train the family and to do the the modeling on the device with the kid. So I, Wyatt's team sent me my own and it was a great big box, and yet there I am with it. And my sweet, lovely summer intern, she was like, "All right." So I've never seen one like this, and I'm like, "Let's do it, baby!" <laughs> and so like, we got to practice with it, which was, I I think that's fantastic. All right, I'm sorry, I squirreled again, but that was just, I didn't. I've never heard of a company doing that before, and that was very exciting to me.
3: Definitely something that I think is really important. If you don't, as a speech language pathologist, if you're not comfortable with the device or whatever program that you're working with, it's going to be really, really hard to model and to teach that to whoever you're working with. So the SOP knowledge is just as equally as important as patient or parent knowledge as well. So it is very important and we do that all the time as well. So if I'm working with somebody who's brand new at AAC, they're not quite sure you know, what particular setup before we even set up the student or the adult, the client trial as an SLP, I can provide you with a loan so you can do your own exploration and get yourself feeling comfortable. So if you do start that four week trial with the kid themselves, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable with everything and not feel so much like a deer in a headlight.
0: I feel like that's how I live my life on a day-to-day basis, but I digress.
3: <laughs> I'm guilty as charged as well. Yeah. Still, you say you do a four-week trial as an SLP and you're like, I think this kiddo is going to do pretty good based on their goals with, say, WordPower 60 on TouchChat and maybe an 84 location on LAMP. You can go in and say your first couple of sessions with that. You can explore those two things, those two softwares, or maybe even more to try to really hone in on what you think is going to be most appropriate and then you know we can always set up a four week trial honing in specifically on that particular software and setup so that as an SLP you're getting plenty of good documentation about how they're using it and feeling comfortable in your recommendation that is number one 100% is I want you to feel comfortable as an speech language pathologist. I want parents to feel comfortable with the device. And I want the client to be proficient and really, I want you to find a software that's going to be appropriate for them. And if it takes multiple trials to find that, that's fine. But if say you're kind of like with our one friend, Michelle, or two weeks into a trial and wow, they're just killing it. They're doing so good. There, you don't need to essentially keep on trialing other devices if you don't want to, but you can. It's it's your recommendation. I want you to feel comfortable. I want everybody to feel comfortable with that. So that's why I think it's so powerful to have our devices with those different softwares because it's empowering you as a speech language pathologist to really see everything that's out there and really hone in on what specific components of a device are going to be appropriate for the client that we're working
0: with. So and y'all, th- to, go
3: ahead.
0: I was going to say, it, was, it's, it makes it less scary because in a lot of other settings, we only have the device with the one language on it because of the cost behind getting the different languages, for lack of a better phrase. And having the trial device, it has allowed me to learn the other options on my own time. Which, I mean, you don't want to, I'm always afraid of looking like a complete idiot when I'm stumbling through, but that gives me the confidence building time because I get socially awkward and socially anxious. So for those of you that are out there that are in the same boat, it, um, he hit the nail on the head. It's very much a confidence booster for helping you help others. So, yeah.
3: Something that I'll, I'll piggyback Off on that is you had asked how many devices they typically go through until they find one. From an insurance standpoint, most insurance companies want to see that you've at least looked at, trialed, or considered three different AAC options, whether that be low-tech, mid-tech, or high-tech. So say in a chain of events, maybe you start working with sign language with a kiddo. And works pretty well, but not every, not everyone in their communicative, not all their communicative partners know American Sign Language. So you essentially ruled it out and you kept on exploring. Now, maybe you move to PECs and other low-tech options, a communication notebook. Now you're moving up. Now you're using a tablet with a free app that you found online. And for that got ruled out for reasons of doesn't have warranty training or anything that goes into that. And then from there, maybe you move up to mid-tech or high-tech. So from an insurance standpoint, they want to see that you've at least looked at, considered or trialed at least three different options before they'll approve a device. So say you say you wanna try multiple high-tech, there's nothing wrong with that. What it's gonna do is just, it's gonna, it's gonna bolster your report and really show that you've done your due diligence and tried other things. But like I said, if you find a setup and a software that's just perfect for that kiddo, as long as you're showing that some low-tech and mid-tech options were considered or trialed in a report, you should have no trouble getting the funding.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so then here comes the hard one. What? I like how I swallowed really hard right before I went to ask this question. Okay. So what are some of the chief components that are necessary in an AAC report that I need to have in order for insurance to approve it? Also, I have to give a very important disclaimer right here. It is the speech language pathologist, not the SLPA, not the liaison with the assistive technology company, but the speech language pathologist responsibility to write the report. I have heard um, things on the rumor mill where um, other companies have given uh, the SLP the report to just basically sign off on. Y'all, that is an ethical issue. We are not allowed to do that, nor is the speech language pathology assistant allowed to write the report because it's the report that falls on the SLP to do the data collection and to write the report. Okay. So with those disclaimers being stated, dun, 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 what do I have to put in this to make sure that it gets approved?
3: (laughs) Absolutely. So really the more, the better, but I'll go through some of the, the main things that insurance companies are typically wanting to see in their reports. We're gonna have the client demographics adding that information, talking about, hey, who are we working with here? Who's a client? Some of their background information, um, their expressive language, their receptive language, potential written language or reading, and maybe their cognitive status. You're gonna hit on their current communication needs, how they currently communicate, and X, Y, and Z, why that's not working for them now, and why we're seeking other modes of communication and with within that you know you're going to hit on the sensory and motor status so that will really help for those if you're trying to get an eye gaze or somebody that's not direct select in this section you can really explain why alternative access is needed um they're maybe not able to physically touch a device and so that's why we're going with the switch or why we're going with an eye gaze and you're also gonna hit on the required features needed of an AAC device to fit their current communication needs. So why the key guard is essential, why the mount and why the alternative access is required for this particular client. So that stuff's pretty easy as an SOP, you're, you know these kiddos hopefully, and that information shouldn't be too different than what you're usually used to putting in a report. From there, we, we want to show kind of what I hit on earlier, what we tried before ending up with our intended device. So did we try sign language? Did we try PEX? Did we try low mid-tech AAC? Kind of hitting on at least three things that you guys worked on until you get to what you're wanting to recommend. So once you kind of rule out why those other ones aren't appropriate, then you're really gonna beef up why that particular device access method and setup worked and why you're choosing to apply for that. So you're gonna, why you chose the device, what about the device works so well, what kind of setup are you using? Are you using a more of a core word setup, more of a phrase based setup, kind of just explaining exactly what the setup of the device is. And then this is a big thing. So make sure you star this. Insurance companies want to know that the device, that you guys have used the device and examples of use of using the device. And usually they want to have multiple environments. So say little Johnny used the device at school to say X, Y, Z. Little Johnny used the device at home to request this while in a speech therapy session, Johnny pressed more to indicate that he wanted more pretzels. So an example of use is literally them, just an example of them using the device. Depending on what state you're in, what insurance company you're working with, some require more than not. I know in some states they require like 50 examples of use, where here in South Carolina, we, we always try to get at least three environments and as many examples of use as possible. So basically, we're showing, showing insurance that, hey, this is why, this is what we chose, and we tried it, and this is how successful they were with it. And then that's, that's really the big part is just justifying and showing why it was appropriate. And then follow, at the end of your report, you're probably going to have some, a treatment plan and follow-up goals. You know, after receiving the device, this, we're showing insurance that there's goals intact to promote growth with the device. Cause they don't want to approve a device that's just gonna sit sit in a corner in the laundry room collecting dust. You know, we want it to be used and they want to see that there's goals in place to keep on to keep the growth coming. If that makes sense.
0: Yes. Um, and on that note, y'all, I have one of the reasons, and I probably should have said at this beginning, that I have stopped. Um, The progress with an AAC device and often discharged is if I have gone through all of the other factors, if we have tried low tech, if we have tried um, ASL, if we have tried multiple formats, and then I bring out a high tech speech generating device as a loaner and Every time you go, the battery's dead or it's missing or the family can't find it or siblings have turned off guided access and have started playing on the iPad or if it's just collecting dust or if it's in their backpack and they never take it out. I, I don't feel that it's appropriate for me to make a pitch to the insurance company justifying a need when I can't establish buy-in and that's okay because we as a clinician, I get clinically frustrated when I know that this kiddo needs this, but I have to step back and remember I'm not part of this family unit and yes, the child may need it, but this may not be the time for the family given whatever the other variables are to actually implement and buy into the AAC device because it, it's, there's a season for everything. Um, does it make me clinically frustrated and hot mad? Oh yeah, better believe it. But I have to remember it's early intervention is about, Um, the family and not just the child. So when that happens, I often say, how about we take a break from therapy? We've hit a plateau and that's okay because for some of our children with certain diagnoses, the diagnoses will always mean that they will qualify for services. It doesn't mean that it's always right. And often what you'll find is the family's relieved that they just need a break, that they are burnt out and that's okay. So put it away. And then circle back around, or maybe after you have said that we need this, we need this, we need this for months and the family doesn't want to do it. And when they finally get to the point that they want to do it, maybe they don't want to do it with you and they want to try it with someone else. And that's okay too. And trust me, that's a hard one to swallow. Been there, done that personally a couple of months ago, but at the end of the day, it's what's best for that kid. So make sure you're talking with the doctors, make sure you're talking with their school colleagues, anybody else, if you're, that's working with the kid that's pertinent to that plan of care and just say, Hey, I think we're going to take a therapeutic break on this for a minute. Um, you know, we'll circle back around maybe if you speak to them about it, because sometimes they need to hear the message from somebody else. And that's really, really deep and personal and super passionate, but, um, it needs to be said. So, okay. All right. We have two minutes left because I went off on a soapbox. All right. So how often does an insurance approve a device? Dun, dun, dun.
3: <laughs> so it used to be a really strict five-year rule, and that was Medicare and most all insurances. But as times have changed, technologies increased, insurance has gotten a little bit better. I've had some people at the three and four-year mark, whether they had a change in status or something just was really... The other device was really not appropriate. I have had I have had people at the three and four year market get new devices, but the golden rule is five years. So if you can, we can wait five years, insurance won't really blink an eye, but if you're gonna try between three and five years, you're really gonna have to beef up that addendum and show why the previous device is no longer appropriate and why this new one is being funded. So that would be another situation where you'd really Really communicate with an AC consultant like myself or or anybody else you're working with to, to really determine. So if you're going to, before five years, apply for another device, let's really, really make sure that this new access method or new device is going to be appropriate, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, but what if they break it? Like before the three to five years, like what if they like legit? So most, it's
3: uh, most companies offer a warranty. Um, different companies offer different warranties, but as long as you're in that warranty period, you should, you know, if you break the device, it should be covered. But say that the company you're working with only offers a two year warranty between that year. If it breaks, I believe that you would you would most likely have to pay out of pocket, but that doesn't mean you couldn't apply to insurance to fund the repair. I've never had to do that and hopefully never will. But yeah. if it breaks before the three-year mark, oh, I really hope that doesn't happen for you. I would communicate <laughs> with the, the consultant or the company that you worked with to get the device to see if there's anything they can do to assist with that.
0: Okay. Okay, so the last question of the hour. You have a captive audience of SLPs. So, is there in a minute and a half if you if is there anything you want us to know that I mean that you think we should know?
3: Yes, I do. So, I will say that a lot of people are intimidated by AC and I think it's not the best taught in undergrad or masters. And if you're if you're not working with it consistently, and maybe you're never worked with the population that requires AAC, everybody's so, so scared of it. And it and it breaks my heart because it's really, it's not as daunting as it seems. What I can what I want to tell you guys is to lean hard on your AAC consultants, on your state programs that do assistive technology. Maybe with some former colleagues or maybe some grad school friends that know AC, lean hard on them and we'll help you. Like you mentioned, I'm completely open into going into homes to meet with clients and teams together or just to meet with you one-on-one as an SOP to try to make this as easy as possible for you. My goal is the same as yours, and that's to find, find this child or adult, maybe another way to communicate. And I don't want you to feel like you're being forced or rushed or anything. It's all non-binding. It's just trying to make it easier for you guys. And no question that I've ever received is a bad question because everybody's education is different and their exposure is different. And so if you have questions about anything, I would always, you can always reach out to me and I'm happy to help. I just, I wish it wasn't so scary to people. And I'm hoping that we can hopefully shed some light and make y'all feel a little bit more comfortable and confident in your AAC recommendations.
0: No question is scary, although the misuse and abuse of silver stickers as earrings and confetti. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So she's really cute though. All right. So Wyatt, if someone wants to reach out to you with additional questions or set up an AAC trial or reach out to the company, can you give us contact information really quick?
3: Absolutely. So I can be reached via email at Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T, at talktometechnologies.com. I know it's really long, but it's T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E-T-E-C-H-N-O-L-O-G-I-E-S.com. I'm out of breath. But similar to that, you can check out our website at www.talktometechnologies.com. And within our website, there is an inquiry section. section so if you're curious with wherever you're at here in the United States you know who the representative is and maybe having somebody to come meet with you or answer any questions you can submit those online and we will get you hooked up with the correct talk to me technology employee and you can also find us on Facebook um, I believe it's wwwfacebook.com slash talk to me technologies so like I said, reach out with your questions. Um, if you're in you're in the Southeast, in the South Carolina area, please feel free to email me directly at Wyatt at TalkToMetechnologies.com. Or if you're not, I'm still happy to answer any questions that you have.
0: Feeding Matters guides system wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So, what is this alliance?